Hey, it's Sean here, agency veteran turned business strategist and business coach, host of the Growth Code podcast, the place to be if you're looking to grow your business with more ease and less stress. I have a very special guest on the podcast today, Wall Street and Amazon bestselling author of From Grassroots to Greatness, co-founder of Boast AI, which has helped extract 10 million in annual recurring revenue entrepreneur, community builder, connector, and investor. I am so pleased to welcome Lloyd Lobo to the show. Hi, Lloyd. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. No, thank you. There are so many things that I want to talk to you about, but I know that we have to keep to a certain level of time. So I want to just jump straight in. And one of the first things that I want to talk to you about, which is something we talk a lot about here, is growth. So Lloyd, you are a master at building businesses. And I love how you talk about creating growth moats in in your book. And I want to put you through your paces here. So go with me on this one. If we were talking to our audience, which mostly are small client service-based businesses, and if any of those businesses were struggling right now, So looking for more leads, looking for more revenue. If you had to do a turnaround in one of those businesses, let's just jump right in there and tell me what you would tell that business owner to start focusing on. Definitely. So, you know, the first thing is to understand why this business is not growing, right? I think the key thing is to understand the business, meaning do, are the employees happy? Are the customers happy? Is there money in the bank? Right. Those are those are the ultimate things that it boils down to. Because if un- employees are not happy, they're not going to make your customers happy. And if customers are not happy, you don't have any money. But in reality, growth comes down to a few things. Is there something that people repeatedly buy from you? And repeatability is key because when they buy it once, they're almost trying it. They believe in the message you gave them. They have a problem. You said there's a solution. They'll try it. Repeatability is when anytime they have a problem, they keep coming back to you. So that is key, meaning do you have something that people love and want to use and want to pay for over and over and over again? And if you don't have that, I think you need to figure out how you fix that, right? But assuming you have a product made or a service for a specific ideal customer, then you've got two thirds uh, of the of the battle there, right? A lot of the times what happens is we build things or we create things as solutions looking for a problem. We have no market. We don't know who to sell to. And if yeah. you don't know who to sell to, then how are you going to grow? And so before we dive into how would you grow something, You got to ask yourself the question, when am I not ready to invest in growth yet? And for me, the two answers are I don't have an ideal customer that I'm selling to. And I don't have something that people want to use over and over again, meaning I don't have high retention. So if you look at the stages of a company, just have a very calm conversation. Generally, four stages is how I like to see it. Stage one is validation. I have an idea and I need to convince five, 10 people to pay me to try it out. I have an idea that this might work, but I don't know if it's going to work. 
Well, what is validation then? Validation is not having a sexy website. Validation is not having a press. Validation is customers putting their money where their mouth is. You understood their problem and offered a solution. That solution resonated. So they said, I'm going to pay you to try it out. That is validation. Can you get five, 10 people to pay you to try it out? That's not your mother, brother, cousins, whatever relatives, right? And so what are the key factors of figuring that out then? Getting to the goal of validation, right? You want five, 10 people to pay you to try it out. One is, do I have an ideal customer profile? Meaning understanding where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep. What are their job titles? What are their pains? What are their goals? But pains and goals are short-term. So figuring out what their aspirations are and what stands in their way. Once you have this great understanding of the customer, then you also map out their circle of influence, meaning who do they follow? Who are the influencers they follow in the space? What are the other tools and services they pay for? This would give you a list of people you could potentially partner with. And then where do they hang out? Where do they frequent? Meaning what platforms they're present on, what blogs, what magazines they read, so you can distribute your product through content and thought leadership. So once you understand your customer, then you can map out the channels. Years ago, I was doing another startup and I had an advisor who came in and uh, he's like, let me see your marketing plan. And I threw up this marketing plan with 20 different marketing channels. And he sank in his chair like this and went like red in the face and says to me, burn those fucking slides down, like pardon the language here. And he's like, you're going to fail. And I was so embarrassed because the whole team is there. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, focus will lift the conversion of your messaging and your product and your offering and everything else. Be an inch wide and a mile deep. If you try to be a mile wide and an inch deep and you are mediocre at every other channel that you try, you'll be doomed. But if you nail one and do well in it, you'll build a massive business. And, and uh, you know, that got me thinking. And then he says, what are... What channel is working? And I said, emailing people works, cold emailing. But ah, it's not kind of not quite working. We're not getting a volume of clients. It's like, how many emails are you sending a day? And I said, 50. He's like, send 500, send 5,000, jam more data and get to a critical mass. But the only way you can jam more data is to start with who's my ideal customer? Where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep? What is their circle of influence? Meaning who do they follow? Who do they fund? where they frequent, understanding them really well will help you figure out how you target them. Now you got validation, you've convinced 10 people to pay you to try it out. And to convince 10 people, you probably have to talk to 100, 200 to make sure the message resonates. You're polishing your messaging on the fly, you're pivoting and you land something, you get 10 people to try it out. Then you reach the next phase, which in the tech world we call product market fit. But I think this is a definition that should be used by everyone, is you have an offering. And I, in my book, I call it community market fit, meaning you build a community for a market and it fits. Or a service market fit. You have an offering, basically, for a market and it sticks. It's a fit. And what that means is the people who paid you to try it out are now coming back to you over and over again, they don't leave you. The worst thing is you get 10 customers and come renewal time, 
those 10 customers leave you. So then you have to get new customers. Anytime they have the problem, they don't keep coming back to you. And especially as a small business, rather a bootstrap company, if you have to keep getting newer and newer and newer customers, then, then you're doomed, right? And so the leading indicator of retention is engagement. If people are not using you and you're not spending time with you, then chances are they paid you. And when time comes for renewal, they're going to cancel. So now what, what's happened is at validation, you've figured out one kind of customer. And at retention, you've nailed the value you provide them. So one kind of value. The next phase is product channel fit or service channel fit. You figure out one repeatable, scalable way to acquire customers. Now, what is the leading indicator of product channel fit is you have a repeatable, scalable way to acquire customers. That could be email, that could be community, that could be events, that could be ads. But the key factor here, especially for a services business or a small business, is your payback period on your investment should be under a year, right? You're not a venture-backed company. So if you're spending $2 to acquire a customer that pays you $1 in year one, that means it's going to take you two years to pay back that customer. And you might not be able to keep the lights on. So the best businesses that are bootstrapped are ones that can get their payback period down below six months in these cases, right? And so let's say you sign a customer that pays you 10000 every year, but you pay 20000 to acquire that. From a VC-backed perspective, oh, you've nailed a repeatable, scalable channel. Venture capitalists would love that. Spend 20000 all day long because they paid you 10000 in year one and your average customer sticks around for five years. So on a 20000 spend, you got an LTV of 100, lifetime value of 100000 But for a bootstrap company or a services business or a small business rather, spending twenty to acquire a customer that pays you ten in year one could kill your business. So you got to be really clear about the fundamentals of how the channel you invest in pays back. And I'm talking about these fundamentals because honestly, I get asked a lot, like what growth tactics should I try? And there's no silver bullet, right? It's like, who's my customer? Where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep? What are their pains? What are their aspirations? Where do they hang out? And then go and carpet bomb those channels to acquire them as cheaply as possible. And I can talk about how we did it at Boast because we started Boast as a services business (laughs) and we delivered the service manually Then we figured out all the things we're doing manually that could be automated with technology. And behind the scenes, we automated it and we productized the business and we saw our gross margins shoot up to 80%. Yeah, that scale is absolutely amazing. I want to just recap on a couple of things because you have dropped so many gems in that short amount of time. So I just want to recap for people because the first thing is, I love what you said about having a repeatable scalable product because there's only three ways to grow a business you get new clients you sell more to your existing clients or you raise your prices or you sell more frequently is is the main one that we're talking about and the the really important thing that you've mentioned is about validation and I used to own an agency business and we used to get startup businesses coming to us they have this amazing idea they want to invest in the brand the website and everything else and i would always say well have you validated this first 
because it's not a case of build it and they will come anymore. What you've talked about there with the ideal profile and finding the problem and then creating the solution to fit is that is the key right there to a successful business. Um, so I just want to thank you for sharing that. And also the ideal client profile. You know, I think people use this wrong and it's something that gets banded around as a bit of marketing jargon. But the one thing I want to add to that as well during the validation process and having your clear ideal client profile is this is what helps you to get your pricing right. Because pricing is your biggest profit lever. And if your marketing is going to be profitable, your services are going to be profitable, the, the pricing piece is important. And validating it to your ideal clients will show you what price the market will bear. Because I think pricing is really, some people might think of it as a dark art or some kind of, you know, suspicious practice. But but really, it's, it's about what profit you want to make and what your ideal clients, what your market will bear. Um, so those are some really good things. Let's go, let's go back to channels. And uh, let's, let's talk a bit more about making these marketing channels profitable. Definitely. So I have this framework, you know, and uh, Xian, uh, when you are in the thick of things, it feels like, geez, I'm throwing spaghetti on the wall. God, please make something work. When you look back, right? So now our company, since we brought in the growth equity investors, we sold half the company when it was 10 million in revenue. Our company has more than doubled since that, since a couple of years. Um, but the one thing fundamentally was very clear, one kind of customer coming through one kind of channel, getting one kind of value. You can build a pretty big business, 40, 50 million in revenue getting there. Of course, eventually you need to have a horizon for the second and third product because every company that's 100, 200 million in revenue has multiple products. But I think the timing of it is clear and you need to earn the right of when you build another product. Now, a lot of people, what they say is, will go grow by building another product. You talked about the only ways to grow revenue is either increase the pricing at some interval or sell more to the same customer or get new customers. Now, here's the thing. If you have an offering that people love and want to keep using, you have high retention, then it takes care of itself. You acquire more customers, they buy more from you. And that just explodes and the compounding interest on that is huge. So then, so then like, you think about, I have high retention. I got to figure out now one repeatable, scalable channel, right? Like, I, think, I think the key things of pouring investment dollars in a channel beyond the initial test phase is this. Are customers paying and sticking around? Do they pay? Do they stick around? And even better, are they bringing their friends also? Now, that's a whole different ballgame. But imagine if a customer pays you and stays and brings their friends that means that channel becomes ultra, ultra profitable, right? Because now there's this referral action going. And the second thing is, you know, I, th I think I covered all elements in there. Are they, do you have an ideal customer? Do they pay? Do they stay? And holy grail is, do they bring their friends? But once you have that, then you got to figure out how do you find the right channel, the investment. Now, there are multiple channels you can pick. There's hundreds of them or let's say there's 20 big ones. What I like to do is there's this product management framework called RICE, which is reach, impact, confidence, and ease. How many people is going to reach? What is the impact to my bottom line? What is my confidence? And what is the effort involved here? And that is key 
Because you may say, I'm going to do SEO. Let's pick any channel. Let's do SEO. SEO will give you massive reach. But what is the effort involved? To see results from SEO is going to take you six months to a year. You can't probably afford to invest in that. And with SEO, you're competing for eyeballs that are already searching for something. So there's other competitors in the space. So then how do you carve out a, a sort of blue ocean for yourself where you're, you're sort of creating the market in a sense, right? Because if you're competing for keywords that everyone else is searching, then when they search you, they find five other people. And so then it's not only at the SEO, mercy of the SEO to find you, right? Like mercy of good SEO results so people find you, but then you got to also have a very compelling website and a very compelling offer because now you show up for a keyword that seven other people are showing up on page one and it's going to take you six to 12 months. So you got to figure out what is the reach? What is the impact? What is my confidence? And what is the effort involved? Versus say, I'm going to do cold emailing. How many emails can you acquire? Can you craft a message? How long will it take you to test it, validate it versus saying advertising? And then maybe you start hosting events, small things like that. And then you test out with small budgets on each of them. And you see where are you getting a repeatable flow of leads, but the leads are not enough. Are they turning into customers? And what is the ROI of those customers? And you spend two, three months effort trying to figure that out. And you might nail a channel and be like, aha, okay, you know what? I'm going to put this SEO as a secondary long-term project, but I'm going to go all in on maybe cold emailing people. So I'll tell you what we did at Boast. So Boast automates government funding for innovative businesses, businesses that are building new products or improving existing products. Globally, there's hundreds of billions of dollars in R&D incentives for these businesses. The problem is it's a cumbersome application process. It's prone to frustrating audits and receiving the money takes a long time. And so we set out to automate it, but we had no money, so we couldn't build technology on day one. So we started reaching out to people through cold email, and we said, we'll do the service manually for you, and we'll get you the money. A lot of people in the early days, they, um, they would tell us it sounds like a scam, right? Like <laughs> no equity, no interest, the best form of capital. It sounds like a scam. And... Uh, what we said was, man, this cold calling thing is not working. We were calling manufacturing and construction and oil and gas. We said this cold calling thing is not working. So we started going to the events where these people started, uh, where these people would hang out, manufacturing, oil and gas, construction, the stable companies of the time. And we just couldn't resonate. We looked like two guys who threw on a suit jacket on top of a hoodie and they were the cigars club. We just couldn't resonate. So dejected, we start going to the startup events. If I may very briefly introduce our sponsor. Now, I never recommend something that I don't use personally, so I was over the moon when Practice got in touch to sponsor the Growth Code. Imagine having everything you need to smoothly run your coaching or consultancy business all in one place. Invoicing, client notes, actions, even scheduling. Plus, there's a chat function to effortlessly stay connected with clients wherever you are. The thing I love most about it, apart from being the hardest working member of my team, is its simplicity. Less is more, and this tool gives me loads more time to focus on my clients. That's practice with a C for clients, and I will put a link in the show notes. So 
So dejected, we start going to events uh, that were hosted for startups and new business owners. And we felt like an instant connection. It was our tribe. We started hanging out with them, having meals with them, partying with them, co-hosting events with them. And I realized something very profound. Say you're starting out and you don't have an ideal customer profile. How do you even figure out the ideal customer profile? Again, a version of this, right? This this whole uh, framework of RICE, which is reach, impact, confidence, and ease. But a different spin is one, do I have the passion for this market or this customer? Building a business is a long slog. It's a marathon of the heart and mind. If you hate your customers, you'll never be able to sustain. You'll eventually burn out. Two, is it a growing market? It may be small today, but do you see it's growing? There, is there some insight you have on this market that proves to you that it's going to grow? Three, do they have the propensity to pay? If they can't pay you, it doesn't matter. You have no business. And fourth, do you have an ease of access? You may have the best market that pays you really well, but you can't get a hold of them. It's over. And so you know, looking back, that came to be the framework is, do you love this audience? Is there a growing size to it? Is there a propensity to pay? And is there ease of access? And you know, when we started hanging out with them and understanding them, their goals and their pains and their aspirations, we found two white spaces. One, nobody would cover startups at the time in the local, in the region where we started in Calgary, Alberta. No news, no, no, no service provider would want to service them because they were looked at like short-lived businesses. Now, our key insight was lots of investment going in startups. So it's a market that's going to explode. And that played out. The second thing was all the events being hosted at the time when there was no podcasting for business, LinkedIn wasn't a massive platform for content distribution. So all the business-focused events weren't very tactical advice. It was all CEOs of big companies giving high-level platitudes. And if I quit my job to start a company, I don't want a platitude. I want tactics. And so that's, uh, that, those are the white spaces we found. And so what's really interesting is I reached out to the local newspaper and said, hey, give me a column. I'll, I'd like to write about startups. Initially, they said, no, ah, it's not a priority. So I reached out to a friend who ran a regional blog and I said, hey, can you give me a column? I'll write about startups in the, in the region. And he's like, sure, I need content. So I covered two, three startups because I had only seen and been a part of failed VC-backed companies, so I didn't have any profound knowledge to share. The knowledge becomes profound and worth sharing when you, after failures, you have some success. Then you can at least, you know, not have this imposter syndrome. So I'm like, I've only seen failures, so there's no point in educating people, and, but I can cover other startups. So I covered these startups, and I shared it with the startups, and I drove traffic to it by reaching out to everyone in my contact list, and they liked and retweeted so much. And I went back to the newspaper editor and I said, hey, will you now give me a column? Because look at how much traffic this uh, post draw, got. And uh, if I write for you about startups, it'll keep an audience that you're losing. It'll help you keep this audience that you're using, which is a younger demographic that doesn't read the newspaper. They read other blogs in that. And he's like, yeah, this is interesting. I'll give you a blog post. Now, as an entrepreneur, unless you're doing something illegal, Never ask for permission. Beg for forgiveness. I live by that. Yeah, I call the call the blog post startup of the week, right? And when you call something startup of the week, it implies that the newspaper is creating a new column that awards new businesses. And I covered a company that had raised three million, and uh, 
no, they were not getting coverage and it blew up. They shared it with everybody. And within a day or two, the editor calls me. I've missed calls from him now. And, I, and I, I'm like, oh, he's going to be mad. Why did I call it Startup of the Week when he just gave me a blog post? And he said, Lloyd, that was great. If you commit to writing it every week, I'll make it a print column. And uh, that print column now did a few things. One, massive social proof for two guys working out of a bedroom, right, in my co-founder's apartment. And now we're in the local newspaper as columnists. Two, it uh, created this interesting dynamic where these entrepreneurs were waking up on Mondays at 6, 7, going and buying print newspapers and taking clippings and sharing it around. And I guess there's some social proof to be had with the print column when we're all digital, like there's some novelty to it. The third thing was I got massive SEO now. Um, so like it was like one strike and like, you know, like it was like a pinball effect because I got a weekly backlink from the highest domain authority website in the country is the newspaper's website to my website, which was new and unknown. There's no amount of SEO gymnastics I could do that would give it the impact of the newspaper linking to my website for my keyword every week. And then the fourth thing was we put a uh, form in there said, if you want to be featured, apply here. Now, all these people started applying and that was, this was 2012 and it was our version of building an audience online, right? Like today there's Instagram and LinkedIn, but that online audience, if we kept it to online, it's an audience, yeah. right? How do you now take that further and build relationships with that audience? Now, the audiences were, were, who were reading it were filling out the form. So we started inviting them to meetups we'd host at our co-working space. And we knew already that the events that were happening, people were talking about inspirational stuff. And there's only so much Elon Musk I can listen to when I need to pay the bills. If I need to pay the bills, I need tactics. How do I get my first 10 customers? How do I get my first investor? How do I launch my first product? Yeah. The tactics. And so we started inviting and saying, hey, you know, um, we have this speaker. He's going to talk about how they got their first 5 million in revenue or first 10 customers or first angel investors. And we got 10 slots and free pizza at the co-working space. Do you want to come? 10 slots, free pizza, tactical advice. 10 people showed up. Free pizza is the only And And the co-working space, we, we had a free venue there to do small meetups. Now, the thing is, we never stopped. I wrote that column for two and a half, three years. And we kept doing these meetups over and over again. And now, see, we understood inadvertently because we were dejected from the manufacturing con construction, oil and gas communities that we're trying to connect with, we end up hanging out at the startup community. And so we understood where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep, and their pains, their goals, their aspirations, and what stands in the way. We also understood who are the influencers they followed and who are the other products or services they paid for and what are the platforms they hung out on. So now it gave us this strategy of we knew exactly which speakers to invite and we knew exactly who to co-host events with or invite as sponsors. So whenever people started coming to events, they felt like it was their tribe and not some rando, right? Like you go to a party and you meet people you don't know, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers, and you want to leave. Or you go to a party and you feel like I found my tribe and it's valuable. And so that's what started happening and we never stopped, right? And we kept writing that startup of the week column and we kept doing weekly, bike weekly events. And one day, 200 people showed up to the co-working space for an event. 
And then the co-working space tells us, guys, now this is like a full-blown conference kind of you're running, mini conference. You can't do this anymore, leveraging the free space to get out of here. And like, if you want to do this kind of event in a nice, nice, polite way. And that transformed then forced us to host our own conference, which we call Traction. And um, over the years, we've had CEOs of Uber and Atlassian and Twilio and every major multi-billion dollar company come. And uh, the key learning now looking back is figure out a way to create content to build an audience around the pain point of your ideal customers, but then immediately also start bringing that audience together to interact with one another. So you're building a community. And when you interact with them in person, you start to build stronger relationships. And if you have services, a lot of the services businesses, like especially in the consulting space, we charge a lot of money. So hosting a 10% meetup on a cadence that delivers some value, if you walk away with two, three solid connections, that turns into a deal. Now think about it. You don't have to do one big production event like a traction once a year with a thousand plus people. You can do 10% meetups. We did that for the longest time, 10, 20, 30% meetups. Cheap drinks, cheap food. People come, they hang out, they get your knowledge, they vibe with each other, they connect with one another, right? And uh, you know what's what's interesting, Sean, is uh, as I was reading and researching and talking to so many community members, I found something very interesting. Every obscure idea that eventually became a global phenomena that sustained from Christ to CrossFit, Every small, obscure idea that became an enduring global phenomena went through the exact four, four stages. People listen to you or buy your product, you have an audience. When you bring that audience to interact with one another, it becomes a community. When that community comes together to create impact towards a pay purpose that's far greater than your product or your profit, it becomes a movement. And when that movement has undying faith in its purpose through rituals sustained over time, it becomes a cult or a religion. So look at that audience, community, movement, and cult. And so I'd urge the audience to think about that because if you look at it, yesterday's innovation always becomes tomorrow's commodity. But you look at the most iconic brands like a Harley Davidson that almost went bankrupt in the 80s. When the Japanese manufacturers commoditized electronics, hardly faced bankruptcy. But their employees and their leadership said, we're going to create these communities and writer clubs. And they went out and, and started these writer clubs. Employees became writers. Writers became employees. And they started these rituals around weekend writing and weekend warriors and donating money to autism and cancer. So not only they saved Harley Davidson from bankruptcy, but today you can recognize a Harley Davidson fan no matter where they are just by what they're wearing. So, you know, everything is about your customer and adding value to them. The channel you pick is a way to distribute your message. So think very deliberately about all the channels you pick that will help you build longer-term relationships with your customers. Because if you run an ad, you're renting an audience. And you have to do those things to give you the short-term boost. We have to seed things, right? When you do an event, like when we started doing our first events or first posts, even till today, I cold email everyone and I message everyone on my contact list to seed it. 
Now I can email and message people on my list or I can run ads to it. And I've always found that leveraging my network and my list and cold emailing people is way cheaper than renting an audience through ads to seed it and drive traffic to it. And then eventually it starts to take a life of its own. I have to share an observation with you right now because this conversation is very tactical and it's it's going to be amazing for people who are thinking, what do I do right now to take my business forward? So it's amazing. But the reason that this is so inspirational, I just want to share this observation. First of all, you have shown resilience and this is what we need as business owners. We need resilience. You know, you've started off going down one particular profile of customer, realized that didn't work, changed your course of direction and adapted. We have to keep resilient because if you just went, okay, well, that doesn't work. I'm going to shut the shop and walk away. Both wouldn't be what it is today. This is the first thing that's just inspirational. And I, and I want people to remember when things aren't working, pivot or look at what's going on and try and adapt and, and change. The other thing that is so inspirational about this conversation is sometimes business owners will try something and it doesn't work. And like you did with, you know, I've sent 50 emails a day, it didn't work. But you are willing to go further than that and do whatever it takes to find the thing that works. And that drive is what I love about business owners and the, the entrepreneurs I work with. And it's just a really good reminder as well that dilution is not the solution. When you're a small business and you're in the growth phase, stick to the one thing. Figure out how to make that one thing work. Optimize it, maximize it, then move on to the next thing. When you're ready, then you can start adding more revenue streams, more profit, and that's when you can scale. And I think that you've talked through that really, really beautifully. Um, so thank you for sharing those, those stories as well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the one thing I'll tell you, we talked about validation as being the phase one where you get 10 people to pay you to try it out. Here, nailing your messaging and your ideal customer is key. And we talked about product market fit. Maybe you expand that from 10 to 50 people. But the key thing is the people who paid you to try it out now don't leave you. They keep using you. They keep coming back. Maybe they're buying more from you even. And that is holy grail. Maybe they're bringing their friends. That is even holier grail, right? The next thing is product channel fit. And here you figure out a repeatable, scalable channel that gives you a quick payback on your investment of time or money, essentially ROI. And it, you are ROI positive. Ideally, you the money you spend returns in one year. Otherwise, you'll have to, you know, if, you, if you're not a venture-backed company, it's going to be very hard. Super ideally below six months, right? Having ch channels that are free, like community for the most low-cost channels or referrals. Community is a great way to generate referrals, right? Look at Harley Davidson, for example, or a HubSpot or a Nike. Their community is the biggest moat because Apple even, right? Apple talks about the aspiration of their community. Their competitors talk bash Apple, but Apple doesn't have the best features, but they talk about the aspiration. Customers want an outcome. They don't want technologies. They don't want software. But once you figure out this one kind of customer coming to one kind of channel, getting one kind of value, you're at a point of scale. On a scale, what you do is you pour 75% fuel on the fire, more one kind of customer, more the same kind of value, and go all in on that channel. And 25% of the time, you try new things, new markets, new products, new technologies, 
maybe you're a services business that can do with some automation to increase your margins. Maybe you want to expand to a different geo. And again, score that, right? What is the reach? What is the impact? What is my confidence? What is the effort involved? And do an ROI case on three or four things. Don't go all in on scale, right? Like don't say, oh, I'm going to go to Europe. So I'm going to put all my energy now in building a team in Europe. No, send one person there and see if you can get some customers and that go through the same phases, validation, product market fit, product channel fit, and then scale. Right? Be very, very methodical. I think that is key at scale. The problem is a lot of people reach scale. And at scale, what they do is this: <laughs> they now forget that they were methodical in the early days and they throw everything in the kitchen sink. Right? They'll be like, oh, we'll set up a team in Europe. Why? Why don't you validate it first? Right? Why spend all that money? Why don't you make sure the customers you get in Europe actually stay? And there's a sustainable way to even acquire them before you build a whole team there. So those kinds of things. Or I'm going to build a new service offering and I'm going to hire people to build the service offering. No, go and figure out if there is a need for this offering. Sell some customers, deliver it, and make sure they're staying in addition to paying. And if they're staying, then now expand the reach and the channel for all of that. The other thing is, you know, I've... I found four key things to unlock every success in life, right? Four, four stages of, of uh, you know, becoming an iconic brand, audience, community, movement, religion, but four things you need to be successful in implementing that audience, community, movement, religion, or anything, any success in life. Number one, it's the people you surround yourself with, your community, your companions. Your companions will make you feel like a rock star or you're surrounded by toxic people and it'll bring your energy down and you'll want to get out of there. I'm everything I am because of the community of people I surround myself with. My my mentors, the people I work for, fortunately, I, I ended up working for only founders in my early days. And so when the time was right and I, I had so many learnings and it was just was an obvious move that I hit a ceiling and now the next thing is start my own company and my co-founder had reached out and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. It was it was so natural, right? It wasn't like, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I'd only work for other founders. You become the average of the five people around you. Your companions matter the most. It's neither the destination nor the journey, but the companions that matter the most. Number two is communication. Communication is everything from convincing your spouse that you're not going to bring money to convincing early customers that you don't have something, anything but believe in you to early employees to work on low pay to eventually evangelizing the vision to investors and media. It's all communication. If you can't communicate, you don't have an audience. You have an empty room. The third C is creation. And creation doesn't mean like just building some physical thing. Creation is your ability to create content or create products or create services or create playbooks. You can create things by understanding a problem and how to overcome it, create a solution for it. And the fourth thing is, without this fourth thing, by the way, you may have the best community and the best creativity and the best communication, but without this fourth C, you will have nothing. It's consistency. From Mr. Beast to Warren Buffett 
to Elon Musk, the best of the best never stop through adversity. They keep going and going. And if we stopped when there's only 10 people showed up at the first meetup or after the first five meetups, we stopped or we stopped when the local newspaper said, oh, we're not going to give you the column, it would be over. There would be no community. Those were the impetus. That was the impetus of eventually becoming a big 100,000 person community, right? And a community-led business that helped us acquire customers, bring lots of revenue and eventually exit out of the company for a million. So I think, I think that is key. Odd one is audience community movement cult. Think how you can advance on that trajectory. Two, for your skill set, it's community, communication, creation, and consistency. So move the needle for yourself every year on those four things. Is like, how do I build a stronger and stronger community of people that I can rely on? Your community is your currency. How do I become a better and better communicator? How do I get better at creating, whether it's content, whether it's video or written content, whether it's creating products? Like I, I left the company, but I created a book. Like it's just creating, right? Because to create, you need to be creative. Your juices need to be flowing. And it makes you stronger when you learn new things as a function of that, like lifting weights in the gym. The heavier you lift, the stronger you get kind of thing. And then the last one is consistency. Practice being consistent in adversity. Yeah. Those frameworks that you've shared today, plus the RICE framework, which I just loved, by the way, that's um, incredible. These are incredibly tactical things. Um, and we've talked about building a community and you are speaking to an introvert, by the way, you know, someone who <laughs> typically shies away from being visible. Um, I know I have the, the podcast, which is one way that I'm, I'm trying to create my community. But the things that you've talked about, you know, getting 10 people together in a room, building that up, getting people to together, you know, whether it's your clients, whether it's your your niche that you're, you're trying to work in, that just feels so doable to me. So I know it's going to feel doable to to people listening. So I, I really love love that framework and the and the idea around community. Awesome. So if you want to get in touch with Lloyd, uh, you're on LinkedIn, and your website address, uh, I will it put into the show notes. Um, so please go and check out that and connect with Lloyd. And I really do hope to have you back because this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. I'm on lloydlobo.com or from grassroots to greatness.com. We'll have a lot of content, all my podcast episodes where I've appeared, I think 80, 90 podcasts in the last few months uh, and overall more than a hundred. I'll put it on there. My podcast as well. There'll be a a link to our book and a free workbook as well that accompanies the book where you can get templates and everything to build a community-led business. And then uh, Lloyd Lobo on LinkedIn, double L-O-Y-E-D, Lobo on LinkedIn. And uh, Instagram, I recently started posting on there short video content, Lloyd Lobo again. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Lloyd. High five. Thank you for listening to the Growth Code podcast with me, Sean Lennigan. If you're ready to crack the growth code for your agency or consultancy business, then DM me on social media, the word growth, or email hello at workwithshawn.co.uk. Let's see how I can help you navigate this wonderful, crazy journey of being a business owner and pave your path to permanent profits.